we're going to talk about the idea of evangelism. Now, that's church speak for talking about Jesus. In here, we like talking about Jesus. Out there, not so much. Interestingly, if we begin to take a sociological look at the world around us, in here and out there have begun to look more and more similar. So in times like this, like we've said throughout this series, it's important for us as we enter into an age of post-Christendom where following a biblical way of living isn't a mutually accepted thing in our world, we go back to pre-Christendom when people were just starting to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus, when they were understanding what it meant to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were beginning to ask the question, how in the world do I tell others about this carpenter that happened to rise from the dead and is also the Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One? How do we do that? So today we're going to look at one of the first sermons, way better than anything I could ever preach. And we're going to see the result of that and what we can learn from Peter being obedient. Peter, a man that Jesus said, on you I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot destroy it. Peter, the man that wrestled with failure, that wrestled with, as our series title indicates, not necessarily being great at filtering his words. In the passage we're going to look at today, his words were completely unfiltered because they were led completely by the Holy Spirit. Often when we think about evangelism, we think about it in one of two ways. We think we have to argue someone into believing what we believe, or we think that there's no way I'm going to have the right answer, so it's just better that I don't do it at all. Because what if I get it wrong? Well, today, by the end of the morning, I pray that you would go out with great power knowing that it has nothing to do with you except for the simple act of obedience. We're going to look at the man that despite all his flaws, obeyed the Lord and in one day got the privilege of leading 3,000 people to Jesus. Now, I've never preached to that many, let alone been a part of that many coming to know Jesus. But he didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to Bible college. He didn't even go to a preaching class. What he did was he knew Jesus Christ, and he knew exactly who Jesus Christ is, and he knew that the Lord would guide him and give him exactly the words to speak for such a time as this. So that's what we're going to trust the Lord to do this morning, and we're going to look there together. Lord, open our hearts to your word as we consider you and how we can be faithful with the good news, the gospel today. In your name I pray, amen. Now, before we get to Peter, though, we have to understand what Jesus had to say. Because before he was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again three days later victoriously and came to walk with the disciples and his uh, select few for 40 days where many, many saw him living. Before all of that, he says this. In the first part, we talk about a lot. And we're practicing, and we're going to continue to grow in this part. He said, if you love me, you, will keep, you keep my commands, and I will ask the Father. So we're great at the first part. If you love me, obey me. We like rules. We like structure, and that feels measurable. 
You know, if you're in a job situation, you've got goals and objectives and you want to measure those. How am I doing? How am I performing? What are my benchmarks for performance? You know, if you're a project manager or if you're in that world, what are the targets we're trying to hit at this and such date? If you're in customer service, you're thinking, how much product am I moving in such a time? Well, most people read this and think, okay, the benchmark here is obedience. And we camp out there and we begin to move into a thing called moralism. Or if you go old school church, it was called legalism. Or if you go really old, it was called Phariseeism, where we place the law above the relationship. And Jesus wasn't denying the law, nor was he saying that it's not important to obey him. But notice what he starts with. Where does the obedience start? If you love me, it doesn't start the other way around. We don't earn love by obedience. Out of our love for him and out of his transforming power, we love and therefore want to obey because he is so great and we believe that what he has said is true and therefore what he has said is the best way to live. So if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Have any of you ever struggled to obey any of the commandments? Great. The rest of you just did because you just told a lie. Okay? We're good there. Great. Therefore, how in the world are we supposed to obey the commandments on our own when we understand the doctrine of sin, or as you call it back in the olden days, of original sin? In other words, we are all sinners, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What do we do? We need help. Well, if you open up your Bibles to John chapter 14, you'll find that Jesus was taking care of his people even before he ascended back to heaven, even before he prayed the great high priestly prayer of John 16 and 17. He prepares his people for what's coming, and he says, I will will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. Now, it's interesting there what he says. You see in your Bible that it says, or you can see it on the screen, I will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. For the rest of this sermon, know the spirit of truth, which we're going to get to, is referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, as we understand who the Holy Spirit is briefly today, and we're going to live the rest of our lives, hopefully enjoying the power of the Holy Spirit, but as we do, we need to understand a little bit of who he is. We don't use the word advocate very often today, do we? It's not a word that gets thrown around a lot. It's a great word with deep, rich meaning. But many translations translate it in a different word that might be more effective in our context. And that word, maybe you can relate to this, is helper. Wow, that's a word we hear a lot in Hong Kong. I will give you a helper to be with you, to speak for you to the Father, to be with you as you walk this journey, to guide you. When you uh, study to be a Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor and you get all the letters before and after your name, 
one of the things you have to do is you have to be able to say, what is the function and role of the Holy Spirit? That's one of the questions you're guaranteed they will ask you because we believe in what's called the deeper life, relying on the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to God and be more like Jesus, the sanctified life. We've talked about that. I'm not going to chase this rabbit trail too long. But what we understand about the Holy Spirit through just what Jesus has told us and what the New Testament teaches us about the Holy Spirit and what we see consistently throughout is that the Holy Spirit is given us to give us power to live in a broken world, to give us counseling, help when we need it the most, to teach us how to live in a broken world, and, to, and we like all those. Those are great. Those feel good. Those are take in. Those are wonderful. And, and then there's the last one that we tend to not like quite as much, and to convict us of sin so that we deal with it and we move on drawing near to him. The Holy Spirit continues to lead us in the process of drawing close to the word that is Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. If, if you follow Jesus for any number of uh, days or weeks or months or years, you'll notice that things bother you about the world and about behaviors that didn't used to bother you. You might put on a movie that a year ago you would have watched and thought nothing of it, that as you've grown closer to the Lord, you're like, I don't need to be watching this, right? Yeah, that's not you. That's the Holy Spirit at work in and through you, convicting you, teaching you, and helping you to be more like Jesus. So Jesus promises, I'm giving you him. He is a person, not just some ethereal being. He is real, and he walks with us. And Jesus promises us this. So then we flip over to Acts chapter 2, and what do we find in Acts chapter 1 and 2? Well, first, right before Jesus ascends back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God Almighty, our Father who is in heaven, he says this to the disciples. It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but... Here we go. You ready? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, so as we're given the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Missions 101. We cannot do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, and to equip us to carry his great name to the ends of the earth. Right? That's just common sense. I cannot go out and convert all the world to the good news of Jesus Christ myself. I will fail every time. And sometimes I have tried, and guess what? I did, fulfill, I, I did fail. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, we see Jesus' promise being fulfilled as the day of Pentecost happens. Anybody know what the word Pentecost actually means? Basically, it means the 50th day. Pretty cool. On day 50, Jesus has returned, they're waiting, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them like they've never experienced before. This is an outpouring that we, as Christ followers, are given at the moment of salvation. But these guys, they had accepted Jesus, they believed that he is who he says he is, and they're able to see something happen that was the exact reverse of what happens in Genesis. 
In Genesis, languages and peoples are scattered. Remember the Tower of Babel? Well, in Acts chapter 2, people are speaking all these different languages and understanding each other. Why? Because they suddenly were really great with languages and quadrilingual? No. Because the Holy Spirit was upon them and guiding them and encouraging them in this special time. The people of Israel had been waiting for 400 years plus for a sign, for something. They began to hear whispers as John the Baptist spoke, it's coming, he's on his way. They began to wonder, could this carpenter be something more than a really good rabbi, a really good teacher? But lots of doubt, lots of skepticism, lots of wondering, and more waiting Would prophecies resume? Would truth be told all the new? Because as Peter's about to say, the word had become flesh and made his dwelling among us, but this was foretold long ago, and we got to see it. And he changes everything. So instead of me explaining to you what happens and what was going on, listen to the words of Peter. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. I'm going to read the whole thing so as I then move forward, you get an understanding of what Peter had to say and how that works. So listen, imagine Peter, nothing more than a fisherman, a disciple of our risen Lord, and now the spokesman for the disciples. No pressure, Peter. I'm going to build my church. You don't know what church is, but I'm going to build it on you, and I'm going to trust you to carry my name near and far. And go be faithful with what I've said. So Peter looks around and the Holy Spirit has come upon this group of people. And of course, what do we do when we see or experience something we don't understand? We make fun of it, right? Well, if you look at verse 13, that's exactly what the people that saw this group that had been filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what they did. They made fun of them. They laughed at them. They said, you must be drunk. So that's the context with which Peter gets up to preach. Everybody thinking he's drunk. Now there's a crowd breaker for you to get you started. Nobody's already going to be listening to him. But Peter gets up. He stands up with the eleven. Matthias has replaced Judas at this point, And he addresses the crowd and he says, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. This fisherman is already speaking with great authority. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. 
Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. He's speaking to people that could have seen this with their own eyes. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, in other words, he kept on preaching. He warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Peter did an amazingly simple thing. He spoke of what he knew in a way that his people could understand. Peter knew he was speaking to a Jewish audience by and large. And so they would have an understanding of prophecy. So what did he do? He didn't have the gift of this. He couldn't pull out his NIV Bible and read it. The Holy Spirit gave him the words. He had learned the prophets long ago as a good Jew. And so he quoted a messianic passage from Joel. And then he connects that to a passage from the Psalms from King David. And he shares what he has seen and what that has meant. Often when we think about evangelism, we try to solve people's problems for them rather than pointing them to the person of Jesus Christ. And it's an endemic problem that goes largely beyond just when we try to tell somebody about Jesus. 
it goes to how we deal with our world. It has been a difficult week for me to watch the world around me and feel helpless. If you can't tell by my accent, my country is destroying itself in every way imaginable. I've never been more heartbroken in one week of my life at all of the injustice and tragedy going on at one time in America. I'm an American. I'm, I am still proud to be one, even though I'm very disappointed in the actions that have happened. It is hard for me to look at that and think, why do I need another electronic to device to, to fix all my problems? In the New York Times this morning, This quote was given about a lady wondering what she does. And she writes about design and architecture. And she's looking out at the world and as far as I know, not a Christian. And listen to what she says. If the most fundamental definition of design is to solve problems, why are so many people devoting so much energy to solving problems that don't really exist? Does our phone really need to turn on our coffee maker? Yes, but not right now. No, I I don't have that technology. How can we get more people to look beyond their own lived experience? Why did I give you this quote? Two reasons. One, she nails it. We are so stuck looking right in the front of our nose that we've missed the brokenness of the world around us. Two, even the non-Christians are beginning to understand there is a broken world and they're looking for answers. Praise the Lord. This is an opportunity. Yes, there is brokenness, and that will continue. But in that, we now have a context with which we communicate to the world around us. Just as Peter did. If Peter had gotten up and talked just about Roman civilization and and being loyal to Rome, would the Jewish audience have wanted to listen to him? No chance. But he knew the people that he was with were longing for hope. They were occupied. They were under what they felt was a tyrannical rule. They were struggling for answers and they were without hope. And what did Peter do? He talked to them about what they already knew. He pointed them to the word and explained the context of what was going on. Listen to what he says just in in one of the verses. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem... Let me connect with you. Let me explain this to you in a way you will understand. Not everyone, as weird as this is for me, not everyone wants to sit down and have a conversation with me about the anthropological reasons that we can know Jesus existed. In fact, most of you, I just lost you. Some people need to know Jesus is who he says he is. And he can bring meaning out of darkness. And so what did Peter do? By the Holy Spirit guiding him, giving him power. I don't begin to believe that Peter just had all this knowledge up there on his own, knowing what we have just read in John, and then again in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter, just as he promised when Jesus said, when you don't know what to say, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will guide you and speak on your behalf. That's what's happening right now. We keep thinking it's about our words. And Peter's like, nope, Holy Spirit, I'm going to speak and you're going to guide me to the needs of the people around me. 
and you'll let me know what to say. So he starts by connecting with what they all would have understood, messianic hope. They were waiting for the chosen one, but they didn't know if they'd seen him or not. They didn't have the internet. They didn't even have newspapers. They had word of mouth. So not everyone might have known exactly who Jesus is and what he'd done. But they would know the story of Joel. Not all of us know the story of Joel. That part of the Bible often gets skipped over. Right? Let's be honest. We don't spend a lot of time there. But what does Peter highlight? He quotes right up in his big finishing of what we call his contextual argument is he reminds people, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's going to begin a process of repeating time and again that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is ruler of all. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he will repeat this, and he will do it in different ways as he goes on through his message. But the parallel is implicit. He wants everyone to know that Jesus Christ is the one true king that Israel was waiting for. He is Lord. We sing about him all the time. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Yep. Remember that? Mike just sang and it was bad. He doesn't stop there though because then he goes into, you know, sometimes it, it makes you feel good if you learn some Greek. So now here's another word for you to carry out. It's an important word. If you ever studied evangelism explosion, you learned this word, kerygma, the proclamation of truth, the preaching of the word. The speaking with boldness of the word. And what does Peter say? Well, he just spells it out. This Jesus is exactly who you're waiting for. He's already here. He's already conquered sin and death once for all. Verse 32 says this. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. We saw him. He lived and walked among us. Exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And then if you go to verse 36, listen to what he says. Therefore, remember I highlighted Lord already, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, assigning responsibility where it belongs, Peter's not pulling any punches. Again, unfiltered. Is it the greatest way imaginable to give a message by condemning the people that killed the Messiah? Is that a way to bring favor? No, but speaking the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit is bigger. And Peter was trusting that God was speaking for him, and he was. And Peter says, this Jesus is both Lord and Messiah the chosen one, the one God promised all along. He's done it. The victory is won. Just because you weren't aware of it, it's happened. Jesus has conquered sin and death and provided forgiveness for sins once for all. And he spells that out to the people so simply. And he doesn't stop there. But then he goes right in because what, would, what do we read? The people were cut to the heart. Remember the Holy Spirit convicts of sin? Well, the Holy Spirit does this work among us where he draws us 
to the presence of the Father. And in so doing, these people were drawn. They were convicted. They wondered, oh man, what have we done? And the scriptures tell us they were cut to the heart. They were deeply troubled. They were deeply guilty. And so they ask, what do we do now? And Peter replied, he didn't say, well, you know what? Let's go up. We'll set a class for you. Go through that for about 12 weeks. And when you're done, we'll, we'll have some interviews and we'll figure out where you are and we'll go from there. Nah. Now, by the way, classes growth, all very important. But this was not what the time and the moment dictated. The people were hungry, the people were in need, and Peter presented the truth, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message. And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, he's saying be baptized to a, gen, or to a Jewish audience. You know the people that in this day and age were supposed to get baptized? Gentiles so that they would be marked as chosen children of God, just like the Jewish people. So for Peter to boldly say to a Jew, get baptized, would have been humiliating for them because it would have been lowering themselves to the same level as a Gentile. Funny that Peter preached this then and then had tremendous struggles with that play of working with Jew and Gentile alike later on. But right now, Speaking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he says, repent. Now, repentance, we often get confused with confession. Confession is admitting we have sinned. Repentance, quickly, is turning away from it and going the other direction. Okay? Does that make sense? I can admit to you day and night that I have made mistakes, but if I keep doing them, is it going to have any value to you? No. Repentance says, I am going to trust the Holy Spirit to help me, to give me victory over these things I've struggled with. Back to where we started. The Holy Spirit helps, as we study His Word, helps draw us to become more like Jesus Christ every day. So those things that didn't bother us a year ago do bother us now, the conviction of sin. We are made to be more like Christ. We have turned away from our sin and gone the other way. Think Joseph when um, the Pharaoh, when the, the, his master's wife tries to seduce him. What does Joseph do? Does he hang out in the sin and hope it goes okay? No, he runs away. We should run away from sin. And if we have sinned, we run away from it from then on. We've confessed it, we've repented, and we've received forgiveness. And Peter invites the people on that day to be baptized. Why? Because it meant identification with the Savior with the followers and family of the way. Jesus told us so clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. But in this day and age, that wasn't, just like now, that wasn't popular. So Peter was inviting people to a public declaration of, I'm a Jesus follower. Popular, cool, or not, my identity is fully in him. Peter's saying, I was a fisherman now I fish for men. Now I invite you to know Jesus Christ. So what can we learn from this? And by the way, we could spend forever on this, but there's a few points I want us 
to focus on first. There is a time and a place for us to talk about our journey with Jesus, but it doesn't start there. The good news of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of truth, must always, always, always begin with Jesus Christ. It's always about him. If you were with us for our CMA DNA Sunday or discipleship class earlier in the year, every week that's what we talked about. It's always about Jesus Christ. The good news is always about him and him at work. So when we start telling people about Jesus, we don't say how awesome we are. We say how amazing he is. It starts there. The second thing we've got to understand and we look at, Peter had a million reasons not to stand up that day. Let me give you a few. Let's start with the big elephant in the room. Fifty days ago, he denied Jesus Christ and said he was not one of his followers. That, in my understanding, would disqualify him. But God, through his endless love and amazing grace, restored Jesus, names him the rock and raises him up to this position. Second, Peter is an unclean fisherman that deals in unclean goods day and night. He shouldn't be the one to speak to Jews with much more knowledge and education than him. He doesn't have enough letters after his name. Third, Peter didn't study study under a proper rabbi. A proper rabbi, like guys like Gamaliel, who Paul studied under, those were the guys you walked so close to, the dust of their feet fell off on you, and that was considered a great honor. Peter just walked behind some guy named Jesus. Nobody knew who he was yet. Peter gets up and speaks boldly as one that knew exactly who Jesus is, one that knew exactly where his identity lie, one that knew exactly that his sins had been forgiven and so could ours, and one that knew exactly where the power to speak was coming from, not himself. We can know a great number of things and miss out on the person of Jesus. Peter didn't do that. He knew the gospel had to be shared. It was so alive inside of him that he couldn't help but speak, and so he did. Third, Peter knew the gospel wasn't just meant to be shared. It was to lead to transformed hearts and lives. Some of us are wrestling right now with, if we believe in Jesus Christ, are we going to let him change how we live? Are we going to let him change how we choose to spend our money? How we choose to spend our time? How we choose to invest in others? Any number of things. Peter saw this and invited people to be transformed inwardly and outwardly. How do I know it was outwardly? Let me read to you what happened next after this sermon. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Why do we find small groups of such great value? Right here. It is hard for us to get together every week and break bread together as a big group. But we want our community groups getting together on a regular basis, eating and learning and growing together. And yeah, eating is a big part of the Bible. Have you noticed? 
There were seven different feasts. There was tons of different celebrations. There was time to eat together because there's something about food around a table that shares in conversation in a great way, except maybe dim sum because it's so hard to understand the person next to you because of the clanking plates. But that's my issue, not yours. This is what happened. And I love dim sum, by the way. Please don't misunderstand me. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs to be being performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And what did they do? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The Holy Spirit changed how they lived and worked together. The truth of Jesus Christ transformed them into a people that saw a world outside of themselves. That quote I read to you earlier, this is the solution, the person of Jesus Christ, the good news. And finally, that we see in that same passage at the end of Acts chapter 2, the good news of Jesus Christ brings power that can give us the strength to tell that neighbor about Jesus for the first time. Lord, I'm not ready. I don't know enough. I couldn't possibly. Lord, they're going to reject me. Lord, what if they don't like me anymore? Lord, what if, what if, what if, what if? All these things could have been going through Peter's mind. And he got up and he said, I'm going to speak what the Lord has given me. And I'm going to trust him with the results. Ultimately, if we are faithful with the message we're given, it's up to the Lord what happens next. It is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be faithful with the message. It is God who transforms hearts and draws people unto himself. That's what's called the effectual call of a believer. In other words, what it means is we can do everything we can to give the general call, to invite all who would believe to come to Jesus knowing they will be saved. But it's God who brings salvation, not Mike. It is God who brings salvation through the person of Jesus Christ by the inworking of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. So today, will we tell people about Jesus? Will we share the greatness of knowing him? Will we let him transform our lives and our hearts so that out of the overflow our heart, of our hearts, our mouth speaks of the greatness of God? And when we live in the fullness of his power, that when we pray, when we act, we see him at work and we say, no way I could have possibly done that. That had to be the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word that is living and active, that is sharper than any double-edged sword. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that was given us through the work of Jesus Christ to guide us, to teach us, to counsel us, to give us power to live in a broken world as light. So Lord, may our lights shine brightly. May we not be afraid of the truth of Jesus Christ that is useful for all people. May we be bringers of hope as we proclaim your great truth, just as Peter did. Amen.